0: This episode of the OrthoBullets podcast will go over the topic of DIP and PIP joint arthritis from the hand section on orthobullets.com. The forms of DIP and PIP joint arthritis include primary osteoarthritis and erosive osteoarthritis. With respect to primary osteoarthritis, the DIP has the highest joint forces in the hand and they undergo more wear and tear they are associated with Heberden's nodules, which are caused by osteophytes. Mucous cysts, which occur at the DIP joint, can lead to a draining sinus, septic arthritis, and nail ridging. The nail can also be involved in the setting of DIP primary osteoarthritis and may manifest with splitting-slash-ridging, deformity, and or loss of gloss. At the PIP joint, you may see Bouchard's nodes, as well as joint contractures with fibrosis of the ligaments. Moving on to erosive osteoarthritis, this is a condition that is self-limiting, and patients are relatively asymptomatic, but this can be destructive to the joint. Erosive osteoarthritis is more common in the DIP joint and is seen in middle-aged women with a 10 to 1 female to male ratio. As far as the presentation of DIP and PIP joint arthritis, Symptoms of primary osteoarthritis include pain and or deformity. Symptoms of erosive osteoarthritis include intermittent inflammatory episodes, articular cartilage and adjacent bone is destroyed, and there are synovial changes similar to rheumatoid arthritis, but they are not systemic. As far as imaging, recommended views on radiographs include an AP, lateral, and oblique of the hand. As far as findings, Erosive osteoarthritis will show cartilage destruction, osteophytes, and subchondral erosion, otherwise known as a gull wing deformity. Treatment of DIP and PIP joint arthritis can be non-operative or operative. Non-operative management of DIP arthritis includes observation and or NSAIDs. This is the first line of treatment for mild symptoms. Operative options include effusion, which is indicated for debilitating pain and deformity. As far as the technique, fusion with a headless screw has the highest fusion rate, with nonunion in 10% of patients. The second and third digits are fused in extension, and the fourth and fifth digits are fused in 10 to 20 degrees of flexion. As far as a mucus cyst, this can be treated non-operatively with observation, and this is indicated as the first line of treatment as 20 to 60% spontaneously resolve. Operative options for a mucous cyst include mucous cyst excision, plus osteophyte resection. This is indicated for impending ruptures, and keep in mind that you may need to do a local rotational flap for skin coverage. As far as the outcome for mucous cyst excision plus osteophyte resection, the osteophytes must be debrided or the mucous cyst will recur. Moving on to PIP arthritis, this can also be managed non-operatively or operatively. Non operative management includes observation and NSAIDs, which is indicated as the first line of treatment in mild symptoms. Operative options for PIP arthritis include collateral ligament excision, volar plate release, and osteophyte excision, there are indications for fusion, and also silicone arthroplasty for middle and ring PIP joint arthritis. Indications for collateral ligament excision, volar plate release, and osteophyte excision is for predominant contracture with minimal joint involvement. Indications for fusion include the border digits, that is the index and small PIP joints, as well as middle and ring finger osteoarthritis if there is angulation slash rotation deformity, ligamentous instability, or poor bone stock. As far as the technique for fusion, again, a headless screw fixation has the highest fusion rates, and you will recreate the normal cascade of the fingers slash PIP joint flexion angles. And in the index finger, this is 30 degrees, in the long finger it's 35 degrees, in the ring finger it's 40 degrees, and in the small finger it's 45 degrees. For a silicone arthroplasty for middle and ring PIP joint arthritis, keep in mind that the radial collateral ligament should be intact to tolerate pinch grip. Indications for a silicone arthroplasty are for the central digits that is the long and ring finger, good bone stock, and no angulation or deformity. As far as outcomes, the volar approach has better range of motion and lower revision rate compared to the dorsal approach. As far as erosive osteoarthritis, there are also non-operative and operative options. Non-operative options for erosive osteoarthritis are splints and NSAIDs. This is indicated for tolerable symptoms. Operative options includes a fusion, which is indicated for an intolerable deformity. As far as the technique, the position of fusion is the same as in DIP and PIP joint primary osteoarthritis. Okay, so now that we've gone over the major points about this topic, let's go over a few questions to apply the information and get a sense of how this topic has been tested on past exams. The first question reads, a 70-year-old right-hand dominant retired female postal worker has severely symptomatic end-stage arthritis of her left middle finger proximal interphalangeal or PIP joint. Your skillful hand surgery partner discusses treatment options with the patient and they decide together to treat her PIP joint arthritis with implant arthroplasty. In counseling the patient on post-operative outcomes, which of the following would be accurate in regard to the surgical approach and implant selection for this case? And the choices are 1. Surface implant has a lower revision rate regardless of approach. 2. Silicone implant with volar approach has best range of motion and lowest revision rate. 3. Silicone implant with volar approach has the best range of motion with the same revision rate. 4. Volar approach, regardless of implant, has the best range of motion and lowest revision rate. And 5. There is no difference between approach and implant type. The correct answer to this question is 2. Silicone implant with volar approach has best range of motion and lowest revision rate. So this older patient with end-stage arthritis of a non-border PIP joint without stated angular or rotational deformity is a perfect candidate for PIP joint arthroplasty. Of the possible implants and surgical approaches that could be utilized, silicone implants placed through a volar approach have comparatively been shown to result in the best range of motion with the lowest rate of revision. To quickly review, PIP joint arthritis is present in nearly 17% of women and 13% of men and often presents with symptoms including flexion contracture, decreased motion, swelling, and pain. The radial digits are often treated with fusion due to issues with stability, but non-border digits may be better suited for arthroplasty. Pain relief is reported in 98% of patients who undergo silicone arthroplasty and the complication rate is relatively low. The dorsal approach is the historic gold standard and may be technically more straightforward. Surface implants that is metal on plastic as well as silicone implants are available. However, more favorable outcomes have recently been reported with the volar approach and with the use of silicone implants. Moving on to the next question. A 28-year-old female ski instructor sustained a fracture dislocation of her index finger PIP joint 10 years ago in a roller derby contest. The fracture was treated with distraction arthroplasty. The patient never retained functional range of motion. Additionally, since the injury, the patient has had increasing pain and a mild progressive rotational deformity. A lateral radiograph of her PIP joint shows post-traumatic end-stage arthritis. The patient is healthy, with the exception that she is homozygous for factor V laden. She has attempted non-operative management, but her symptoms are unbearable. What surgical intervention is the most appropriate for this patient? And the choices are 1, ray resection, 2, PIP joint silicone arthroplasty, 3, PIP joint pyrocarbon arthroplasty, 4, PIP joint arthrodesis, and 5, vascularized PIP joint transfer from the second toe. The correct answer to this question is 4, PIP joint arthrodesis. So the patient has end-stage arthritis of the PIP joint with an associated angular and rotational deformity, which indicates insufficiency of her collateral ligaments. She has failed conservative measures but is too young and active for interphalangeal joint arthroplasty. Therefore, PIP joint arthrodesis is the best option. To quickly review, PIP joint arthritis most often presents with a painful flexion contracture and may be secondary to a post-traumatic mechanism or an inflammatory etiology. In an older, less active patient without rotational deformity, silicone or pyrocarbon PIP joint arthroplasty is an excellent option for the small, ring, and middle fingers. However, the patient in this vignette is young and active with index PIP joint arthritis, therefore arthroplasty would be expected to have an unacceptably low survivorship. The patient is best indicated for a PIP joint arthrodesis. This can be performed utilizing either a tension band technique a single headless compression screw, or a sliding screw with fusion plate. From radial to ulnar, the PIP joint should be fused in increasing degrees of flexion. That is 40 to 55 degrees to optimize function. Moving on to the next question. A 38-year-old woman complains of a painful finger mass of four months duration. Physical exam demonstrates a mucous cyst that originates at the DIP joint. The decision is made to proceed with surgical excision which of the following is an advantage of surgical excision with joint debridement as opposed to aspiration? And the choices are 1. Reduced rate of infection of the DIP joint. 2. Less post-procedure pain. 3. Improved DIP range of motion. 4. Decreased risk of mask recurrence. And 5. Reduced risk of metastasis from seeding the mass into the joint. The correct answer to this question is 4. Decreased risk of mass recurrence so the patient in the question stem has a mucous cyst. This benign mass originates from the DIP joint and is secondary to arthritis. It may be treated with aspiration or surgical excision. However, recurrence occurs frequently with aspiration. Debridement of any osteophytes from the DIP joint is crucial to preventing recurrence with surgical excision. Rizzo et al. retrospectively evaluated the results of 154 mucous cysts treated with either aspiration or surgery aspiration resulted in a 40% recurrence rate. There were zero recurrences with surgical excision and joint debridement. And moving on to the final question, a 54-year-old gentleman presents to your office with a mass on top of the distal phalanx that has enlarged over the last nine months. His main complaint is significant tenderness to palpation over the mass. There is no pain with forcible movement of his fingers. Physical exam reveals a classic presentation of a mucous cyst. A dedicated radiograph of the distal phalanx shows extensive joint arthritis with dorsal bone spurs. What treatment option is most appropriate for the best patient outcome? And the choices are 1. Observe, 2. Needle aspiration, 3. Fusion of the distal interphalangeal joint, 4. Removal of bone spur and cyst, and 5. Obtain infectious workup. The correct answer to this question is for Removal of bone spur and cyst. So the patient in the question stem has a classic presentation of a mucous cyst. The most appropriate treatment would be excision of the cyst and removal of the underlying bone spur. To quickly review, a mucous cyst of the hand is usually a small, soft, benign structure. They are associated with osteoarthritis and develop around bone spurs near a joint. Surgery is typically recommended if there is significant pain at the side of the cyst or with range of motion of the involved joint. Nail bed deformity may occur with disease progression if left untreated. That's all for this review about DIP and PIP joint arthritis. Hopefully that was helpful. This is the OrthoBullets podcast, a daily audio review session by OrthoBullets, the free learning and collaboration community for orthopedic surgery education. Keep in mind that these podcasts are designed to go along with the topics on orthobullets.com, and in fact, you can listen to these episodes right on the OrthoBullets website, while going through the topic. If you're enjoying the podcast so far, please consider leaving us a five-star rating and writing us a review on Apple Podcasts. It will help us spread the word and increase our discoverability tremendously. Thanks so much, and we'll see you all tomorrow.